Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Today is the last of a four-week series called The Walking Dead. In the first week, we took a look at how Jesus was walking, but he was as good as dead because he had determined that he was going to move toward his cross. This miracle of raising Lazarus was going to be the final straw before the religious elite couldn't take it anymore. So Jesus is alive, but he's as good as dead. Then the second week, we looked at the followers of Jesus, how they know how much it will potentially cost them to follow him, to say he is Messiah, Lord, and Christ, and we are all in that they are putting their lives at risk. They could very quickly be dead. In fact, we already, as Jesus followers, are dead. The old self is dead, and the new self is born in Christ. It's he who lives in me. And last week, we looked at Lazarus himself, who, um, if we're not careful, Lazarus is the center point of this story. I hope last week we proved that Jesus is the center point of this story. He's in his own category. When he raises somebody from the dead, he's in a pretty small list, but when he raises himself from death, he's on a list by himself. And then unfortunately, tragically, the story ends before Pastor Dennis gets to pick it up next Sunday with another good story, a beautiful story I'm excited about. We have this little tragic ending to the Lazarus narrative where the spiritual leaders aren't on board. God showed up and they are not interested. They've been called out and they're like, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 Jesus, you don't understand. I'm the part of the group that tells people what to do. I'm the one who interprets the Bible, not you. Right? That's a big wager. If Jesus is God, you're toast. If he's not God, then you're, uh, you're what? You're a crusader. You're, You're a stalwart, strong pastor who's defending the flock against a pretender, aren't you? So you're either a hero or a loser. This is a big deal. So you better get this one right. Okay? We haven't talked about it, but I dare say if a guy walked in the back and claimed to be Jesus, the elders, of course, would have a few red flags go up. But if he proved it, if he walked on water and raised the dead, like we'd we'd have to think it through. (laughs) Maybe he brought KFC. Yeah, that's the Lord. That's the Lord, all right. This is him. Um, We would have to think it through if he raised the dead, wouldn't we? We would. We'd also be right in starting off in a conservative or cautious standpoint, wouldn't we? There are a lot of pretenders out there even in the 21st century. The Pharisees in the first century were dealing with a lot of pretenders. So before those of us, I was raised in church. If you were raised in church, we learned the Pharisees are the bad guys, but we need to slow our roll just a bit. Take in a full set, set of lungs of oxygen and think of the responsibility the Pharisees on their best day feel to defend the flock of God. But what if you get it wrong? So today's sermon is entitled Jesus and the Dead Pastors. What do you do when your spiritual leadership is dead spiritually? What do you do if you are a part of that spiritual leadership and you find out that you are dead? We're going to read together John 11, starting at verse 45. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. What's this? What happened? 
raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. Is that, is that normal? Is that an act, a normal Tuesday in the office for you? No, big deal. Okay. I want to point it out. It's not in the notes. Many. You and I are so tempted to think, oh, if Jesus raised the dead, that would solve it for everybody. Nope. doesn't say everybody believed. It said many. It would be fair to ask yourself at this point, goodness gracious, what does he have to do to convince people, right? We're 21 centuries in. He was raised himself and he has not convinced everybody. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But some went to the Pharisees, this is the religious elite we're talking about, and told them what Jesus had done. I love the language of that. I told them what Jesus did, like I'm tattling. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council, or Sanhedrin, called them together. What are, you going to, what are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Caiaphas, who was high priest at the time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. He did not say this on his own. As high priest at the time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation, and not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. Sounds like they made up their mind, huh? As a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. He went to a place near the wilderness, to the village of Ephraim, and, they, they, uh, and stayed there with his disciples. It was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration, and many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could go through the purification ceremony before Passover began. They kept looking for Jesus, but as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, I don't know. I looked in the commentaries and I couldn't see any comment on this, but I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or Greg's weird imagination. They're starting the purification rites so that they can make sacrifices and Jesus isn't there. They're of course thinking like, this is the beginning of the worship process, but like, what if he doesn't have to purify himself because he's morally perfect? You know what I mean? That section of the text just haunts me. I wonder if Jesus is actually skipping a part of their religious ritual because he has no sin and doesn't need it. Makes me wonder. I'm going to have to keep digging. Verse 56. They kept looking for Jesus, but as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, what do you think? He won't come for, uh, he, he won't come for Passover, will he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly ordered, publicly, that's crazy, that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. Publicly. Everyone knows this. Whoa. Lord, teach us today, please. If Greg teaches us, it's not going to work. He's a mere mortal. Lord, give us ears to hear. If we work with our own ears, it's not going to work. We are just mortals. God, show us who you are. God, show us who we are. God, show us the need to respond to who you are. Show us where grace fills in the gap. Show us what repentance looks like today. God, show us what it is to be spiritually alive, to be fully in you. 
Do this for your glory, for the blessing of our city, and for our joy. In Jesus' great name we pray. God's people said, amen. Two blanks today for the A-typers who have a pen. Did everybody get notes who wanted one? Did everybody get sermon notes? Okay. Sometimes we have meetings to decide whether or not God is allowed to do what God just did. If you're a student of the Bible, you see this happen a time or two in the book of Acts as well. God did something, you can't deny it, so you call a committee meeting and say, is this allowed? I am not so sure. Look at verse 46 with me. Some went and tattled. Verse 47, then the leading priests and Pharisees called the Sanhedrin together, the the high council of 70 religious leaders. What are we going to do? The whole world's going to follow after him. Huh. Because according to the gospel writer John, signs, miracles, and preaching from Jesus, his whole ministry was so that people would believe and have life in his name. So that would seem to be a dichotomy. You either believe in him as the Messiah and the savior of the world, the leader of the Jewish nation, or you don't. You disbelieve in him as that role. No, he's a pretender. And the Sanhedrin, the religious elite, don't seem to be forced. They don't feel boxed in to those being the two options. Because they're playing politics. They're so convinced. There's not even a discussion anymore about is he Messiah. There was a little bit of that earlier in the Gospel of John. What are we going to do with the implications of people believing? This is terrible. What are we going to do? Sometimes, guys, we just we get together and we have meetings. And we want to put God in the defense stand and ask him a few questions and wag our finger. So let me ask you a tough question. I'll ask myself as well. What's the thing that God said or God did that really bothers you? Yeah, it just got real in church this week. See, if you're a good little Christian and you keep the fake face, you're gonna just pass by this one. What do you mean? I trust Jesus. No, you don't. (laughs) If you have the old self, you have the flesh inside you. Every one of us could name maybe multiple things if we pour through the scriptures. I don't like that God said this. I don't like that God did that. Jesus saying this was super, super inconvenient and it's cramping my style. I'm in the 21st century and I'm really, really smart. I'm sure Jesus didn't mean what Jesus said. So, testimony time. I'll share mine. I grew up in church, grew up reading the Bible, and I did not like the conquest of Canaan. If you're new to church, God spoke to a moon-worshipping pagan Iraqi named Abram and said, let's go. Pick up, leave everything, go to a land I will show you. I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to make you a nation that is a blessing to all peoples of the world. A few hundred years later, his descendants have become 
depending on who you trust, hundreds of thousands or perhaps even millions of people that are delivered miraculously by God out of slavery in Egypt. And they're going to this land of Canaan, what today we would call Israel and the West Bank. Yeah, nothing politically going on there. No strife there. And in the book of Joshua, well, it starts a little bit before that, but basically in the book of Joshua, God's people are commanded by God Go kill them and wipe them out. 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 Oh. So the God of the Bible orders genocides. I didn't like this one at all. I was 15, 16 years old. I could read the genocide clear as day, but I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't like that God said this and I didn't like that God did this. Now, before I move on with the story, let me ask you this important question. If God is really God, does he love people more than Greg Kaiser loves people? If God is really God, does he have a stronger and clearer sense of justice than Greg Kaiser has? Anybody ever been in the backyard playing and they heard some hollering and so you ran in and your sibling was getting a whipping? You don't know what they're getting the whipping for. You don't know. You weren't even in the house when it happened. But something happened. And that's what I had to realize with the conquest of Canaan. It's actually not nearly as complex as I thought. God said to Abraham before he had descendants and descendants and descendants, I think it's Genesis 15. He says the sins of the Amalekites are not yet complete. What? In relation to this. I'm going to give you this land, but their sins are not yet complete, meaning I have a lot more patience even yet. I have more patience with this people. And not only do 300, 400 years pass by before judgment comes, Levitical law tells Israel how here are the ways that somebody can become a part of the family of God if they want to be. A number of Egyptians did that at the Exodus, by the way. Anybody was welcome into the family of God. These groups were given 300, 400 years notice that they were standing on soil that the almighty and powerful God Yahweh has given to another people. They're invited to be a part of that people if they want to be. And if they were smart, they could just pick up and leave. And they had 400 years notice. Anybody here ever had a door, on your door had a notice from the city and said you have 400 years to fix this problem? <laughs> and you go down to you know, the, the City Heights Citrus Council and you're in a rage, what? Only 400 years to fix this? And I've told you guys before, the conquest of Canaan is a picture of heaven and hell. You know who God is. You know he's more powerful than you. You know the inheritance he's going to give to his people. He's openly inviting you to be one of his people. And you could run away if you wanted to. You didn't. You stayed and you grabbed a sword. You chose to defy the God that just smashed Pharaoh. Where's your brain? Why? It's not logical. It's spiritual. It is a spiritual rebellion against the Most High. And in so doing, the peoples of Canaan chose to throw in their lot with Pharaoh, even though they just saw how it went. Pharaoh's armies might get smashed by Yahweh, but we're really awesome. 
this was where I didn't like what God said. This is where I didn't like what God did. Was I ever right in my judgment of God for a moment? No. And what helped me? What helped me to wrap my mind and heart around this? Yeah. So the book gets to interpret the book. First rule of Bible study. That's actually true of all books. If you're reading Tale of Two Cities and you're confused, keep reading, okay? It was a study of the word, and this is my encouragement to you guys, because this is God's voice. If I heard that God did something, we'll keep listening. Who here has heard part of what their spouse said and been really mad? Who's here been an inch from divorce because of autocorrect? Mm-hmm. The deepest relationship in your life, the person you love the most, there can still be a lot of conflict if you only listen to part of it. And your God and mine has given us 66 books and you and I love saying, oh, those, some of those in the middle don't matter. He made it and then Jesus loves me and he's coming back for me one day. Oh, the Bible should have been half a page. You're so wise. Why did they make it so long? All these silly stories in the middle. Ah, good. Well, I'm glad we solved that. That's what the whole Bible's about. We can get back to Netflix binging now since you've explained to me and I've, we've agreed the Bible's really just a couple of stories. You know, he, he made it and he saved us and it's gonna be awesome one day. It's gonna be great. We gotta ask ourselves what kind of publisher the Holy Spirit is. Is the Holy Spirit the kind of publisher that really only has two or three things to say, but it's not gonna sell a lot of copies so you gotta make it thicker? Publishers do that all the time because they're broken human beings who lie. Is that who the Holy Spirit is? okay. It is the study of this book. The answers that I needed were in Genesis 15 and frankly, a lot of the books of God, how they wrestle with God's perfect justice and his patience. I needed to see God's justice and his patience to be able to wrestle with the book of Joshua. That makes sense? There was an answer. In my arrogance, you know what I could have done? It'd really be about the mercy of God as well. I could have just said, God's a jerk. I'm out of here. We do that all the time, us human beings. Because I don't really want to dig. I don't really want to know. I'm really concerned about what I'm going to find. I might just find that he's the Lord of the universe and I'm going to have to like submit to his leadership. Anything but that. That would be the worst. And the only reason we think submitting to Jesus' leadership is the worst is because we don't yet trust him for who he is. When you let him speak for himself and you realize, whoa, he could, he could run the universe way better than me. He could run my life way better than I could run it. All of a sudden, it's a joy to submit to his leadership. So we do not here at ARCF, we do not hide about the fact that Jesus rules and reigns over every part of our life. And every time we step outside of that, we are sinning and we are broken. He's the one who's perfect, not us. The entire Christian life is wrestling, saying, God, I don't want to give this area of my life to you right now. In fact, I'm fighting you with all I've got. Would you please break through my stubborn heart? Please. I don't have it on my own. 
I want to, but I, I don't want to. Brothers and sisters, please, please keep studying the Bible. Actually, not just brothers and sisters. If you're exploring faith, this also will help you. You might have some things that God has said or God has done that you don't like, and this is a barrier to faith for you. And I would encourage you to keep reading, keep studying. Here in just a couple weeks, when April starts, all April long, we're gonna be promoting the summer disciple groups. And if you are intimidated at the idea of studying the Bible by yourself, disciple groups are a great place filled with gracious people who are happy to help you study your way through the Bible. Great place to ask questions. Um, Tom, back me up. Hey, have you ever asked a question on Wednesday night that you felt like was off topic, but you were really, really curious? You can ask anything you want. It does not need to be on topic. You're talking about God and his relationship to us. You're on topic. All right? Okay. Second. By the way, if you're new, you saw two points in the sermon notes and you thought, oh, this is going to be a short sermon. The regulars were not so deceived. If I get the villain in the story right, I'll get the hero right as well. Do you guys know that? Oh, guys, this is so big. You can entirely ruin a narrative by getting the villain wrong. So my artists who love novels, you guys will be with me on this. A lot of times it is the actions of the villain that drives the plot, not the hero. The hero oftentimes is forced into uncomfortable, forced to make a decision, right? That, this happens, a lot, not every narrative, but a lot of narratives. The villain bringing darkness into the world is the initiating force a lot of times. This is really great in action films because you just have the villain kill a bunch of people in the opening scene. You've got a great action scene and then the hero finds out about it. Now we've got to do something. Okay, look at, why did I close my Bible? Oh yes, my Bible turned into a sermon illustration. Uh, back to John 11. Back to John 11. Look at verse 48 with me. If we allow him to go on like this, meaning Jesus teaching in miracles, I like how they allow permission. Oh man, these guys are really pushing all their chips in on the guy, idea that he's just a human and we can kill him and everything will be fine. If he's God, they again are in big trouble. If we allow him to go on like this soon, Everyone will believe in him. Oh, no, that's the worst. Then, okay, so the, here's where they're going to show their hand. Here's where they're going to show their hand of, of what their worldview is. And you guys are not going to like where Pastor Greg's about to take this. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. So, history lesson. <clears throat> Israel does not have a monarchy at this point. They do not have a king sitting on the throne. They don't have their own army. They don't have their own taxation. They don't have their own laws. They are subjugated by the Roman Empire. Before that, there was another empire. Before that, there was another empire. Before that, there was another empire. It's been a while. It has been a while. And you can see the end at the, uh, the end of Second Chronicles. You can read it for yourself. So, And, and I'm not casting any judgment, by the way. When you read the Old Testament and you look at God's deliverance that's promised to his people, it is not hard to infer, okay, throne of David, he's gonna be there for all eternity. Wednesday night group, we were just looking at a text. It, it looks like he's king. It says he's king. Throne of David, that's a king, right? 
to infer that this is a political Messiah is not, let, let's not wag our finger and say, oh, silly Pharisees, silly first century Jews. No, it, it kind of makes sense. To think that this guy is going to raise an army and take it to Rome is a, is a pretty logical, that doesn't make us right, but we might very well believe that. He's gonna take it to Rome. But, but here, here's the problem though. Even if that might perhaps be correct or maybe it's wrong, if I think that the Roman army is the villain, this alters how I view the hero. The dead pastors of the first century had been so lulled to sleep by politics and power plays and who's in control of what that they thought Caesar and his legions were the enemy. So what does your Messiah start to look like if the enemy is a political one or a military one? Holy cow, we just changed our Messiah, didn't we? We made him into something, irrespective of whether he said that that was who he is. We got the villain wrong. The dead pastors of the first century lost sight of the fact that every drop of a perfect animal brought by you, by me, every year, the Day of Atonement, perfect animal, slaughtered, because the animal did something wrong? No, because I did something wrong. Clearly, sin is the greatest enemy of our people. And we're getting so distracted by politics, we think it's Rome. Sin divorces me from my creator, not a prime minister or a president or a congress. That stuff is silly. I never grow tired of telling this church, every knee will bow means every knee. Really awesome movie, a few years back, Dark Knight Rises. Some of you guys remember the super creepy steroid-filled bad guy named Bane. And Batman has to deal with yet another dude. And he's fighting Bane, and he's fighting Bane, and he's fighting Bane. Because Bane's the bad guy, right? Totally spoiling it for you if you haven't seen it, but you had a decade, so come on. <laughs> you had a decade. Because Bane is the one who shows up in the opening scene. He kills people, steals things, takes um, all of Gotham captive. He lures all of the police force down underground where they think they're going to capture him, and then he traps them inside, so there are like 600 police officers trapped underground, and, and Bane can rule the city. So what's Batman doing? He fights Bane, because Bane's the bad guy. Bane's the bad guy, and Batman's a good guy, so he fights Bane, because Bane's the bad guy. And by the way, if you saw it, we all soaked it up. We loved it. It was a blast. Yes, fight Bane, because Bane's a bad guy. And then, like all good narratives, it comes to the head, where they are fighting each other. They both have, you know, uh, Batman is able to get the police officers out from underground, and the police, even though they're radically, they, they have no firearms whatsoever, they're going to rush this group of rebels led by Bane that have automatic weapons, all this stuff. It's, they know that they might be very well just going to the slaughter, but they're going to fight for their city. And they've got Batman with them, and he's kind of this, this rallying cry. And so at this apex, right when he's about to defeat Bane, 
all of a sudden, Batman stands up stiff with big eyes because he has a knife in between two of his ribs from the woman that he just saved from the bad guy. What? For you nerds, Talia al Ghul, the daughter of the villain he beat in the first movie, he did not know that that was the bad guy's daughter. He thought she was a friend. And they are friends throughout the movie. Friends. Because Batman did not know who he was actually fighting. Bane was taking orders from her the entire time. Guys, we're going to get it wrong if we don't figure out who the real bad guy is. We're going to figure it out. Now, the guy on the bottom right, this is going to be a low-hanging curveball over home plate. Does he look like a bad guy? Do you want him to come over for dinner? Okay. So what about her? She looks a little bit less menacing, right? Now, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, so maybe we should take that into account. (laughs) And she is scorned because Batman killed her dad. That's a big deal. He looks scary. Her, not as scary. But the real villain was her. Brothers and sisters, we've got to get our villains right. We've got to get our villains right. Take a look at with me what a first century pastor named Paul wrote in Colossians 2. Talking to Christians, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins, amen. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Best news in the whole world. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. All right, who are the real bad guys? You guys tell me from Paul's words. Did Jesus die on a cross to defeat Rome? Huh. He disarmed spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Another text says that Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. The ultimate spiritual authority of darkness loves to just say, you sinned in this way, you sinned in this way, and you sinned in that way, and you sinned in that way, and cover you in shame, and keep your eyes on yourself instead of on that cross where Satan was defeated. What do we make of our Messiah now? If that's the bad guy, what conclusions can we come to about the good guy? Our hero is focused on washing away sin. That's the point. That's why I've I've told you guys so many times that this makes a lousy hobby. Christianity as a spiritual country club makes no sense to me. I don't get it. The beginning of our message is that God is and you are not. (laughs) And that mercy that he offers is either unbelievably attractive to you or you're still offended that God called you a sinner. And we have to decide for ourselves. So here's my uh, warning to you as one of your pastors who loves you dearly. You're not gonna like this warning, but it's important. 
Be careful with your politics. Be careful. I'm not saying don't be engaged. I'm not saying don't have your opinions thought through carefully. I am saying be careful. Be careful. Because you and I are tempted to think that CNN and Fox are on the opposite side of a fight, and they're not. CNN and Fox are both telling you a thousand times a day your enemy is a person or an ideology. Your enemy is a person or an ideology. Your per- enemy is a person or an ideology. Neither of them is pointing to sin as the ultimate villain in your life. Neither of them. And they never will. Satan does not need you to know he exists or see his authority. He doesn't need a cool movie poster where he looks awesome and he's fighting Jesus, mano a mano. He doesn't need that kind of credit. That's not how he works. He just needs you and I's eyes off of Jesus. He exists, he breathes in and breathes out any defaming of the glory of God, period. This is why he allows people to hurt, rape, murder, torture, lie, manipulate, because every image bearer of God deserves more. God deserves on their behalf, and he is happy to see image bearers hurt. He's happy to see image bearers go, if there really was a God, this would have never happened. I'm out. And he's really happy to have all the image bearers in two groups saying, the other side's the problem, the other side's the problem. Pastor Greg, why are you bringing up politics? I didn't. The Pharisees did. (laughs) You think politics is when there's two sides because you're lucky enough that you get a vote. Politics was who had an army for most of world history. Rome had an army. Want to read some brutal books? Read the history of their conquests. You were unlucky enough to face them. Mm. The pastors are so bathed in politics that they can't see God. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, kind of what I already said earlier. We're going to read and embrace all 66 books every drop of the way saying, God, you tell me who the hero is. You tell me who the villain is. And as we really drink it in, all 66 books, we will be less and less tempted to read David versus Goliath and go, I'm David, I have five stones, and I'm going to beat Goliath. No, you won't. You're going to cower in the corner with the rest of Israel. Ah! That's you. That's your role. That's your job. Anybody here really good at freaking out? Okay, so we just admitted it. We are Israel off in the corner, terrified of Goliath. Good, we we solved that. Figuring out who the hero is, figuring out who the villain is in a deep way, it allows us to trust God better. It, it, help, it saves me from making a big deal out of me. And then my friends who don't know Jesus, they like me more because I'm not an arrogant jerk. I'm making myself the hero, right? There's so many benefits to getting this right. So many benefits. And then I just want to tell you something really important out of verse 52. Did you hear how he said that Jesus was actually going to be one person who died for the whole people, right? Caiaphas was prophesying without realizing it. 
I need you to know Jesus died to invite you into the kingdom of God. That's what the text says, clear as day. Not just his people here, but his people scattered all over the world, invited in by his blood, freely being offered to wash your sin away, no matter who you are or what you've done. It's the greatest offer ever. If you can get past your offense that God told you a sinner, this mercy is the greatest offer ever. So if you have not done so, here's what your next step is. I'm gonna leave this slide up. Band, would you come help us respond to God? I wanna encourage you as the gospel writer is doing, choose, make up your mind. If you think of Jesus, if you read Jesus in the gospels and you find him inerrantly beautiful, you go, wow, this is, he's merciful, he is strong. Yeah, this makes sense to me. Maybe it didn't make sense to me a week ago, but it does now. I believe that. That's weird. I didn't believe it yesterday. Then I want to invite you to make a decision and say, I want to worship Jesus. Been here almost three years and I've never done this. Some of you old school Baptists will be with me. I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads and pray with me right now. We've never done this before, but it's good every once in a while. If that is you, I believe he is Messiah, and I've never believed that before. Oh my goodness, I want to worship him. I want to follow him. I want to be his disciple. Then say something to God in your own words right now, and it sounds something like this. Jesus, I believe that you are from God. Jesus, I believed you lived the perfect life that I should have lived but didn't. Jesus, I believed you died a death to satisfy satisfy God's justice that I should have died. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Jesus, I am done with running my life. I gladly embrace you, not just as my savior, but my rabbi forever. You are my teacher. You are my leader. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time and you meant it genuinely, I'm going to ask you to look at the bottom of your sermon notes where I've put Pastor Dennis's cell phone. And I ask you to text the word baptize to Dennis. He's our pastor who handles people who are making their first step of obedience to follow Jesus. A baptism is where we dunk you in water. It's okay. We warm it up. You're going to be all right. But it is a symbol that the old you is dead like you were buried and there is a new you born out of the Holy Spirit that comes out of the water and you are now Christ living in you, not the old self. Text the word baptized to Pastor Dennis here during this response time so that he can connect with you, follow up with you, hear about your journey. He's a great guy. If you haven't met him, you, you want to meet him. Those of you who already know Jesus, here's your next step. Consistently study the Bible. Why? To let God be God. Let God be who he is. You and I don't give nearly as much permission to God as we think when our Bible is closed. It's with our Bible open where we're continually allowing him to define himself. Some of you guys are getting tired that the call to action is always study your Bible. But that's God's answer to a lot of our problems, isn't it? Listen to my voice, he says to us. Listen to my voice, listen to my voice. I have blessing for you, listen to my voice. We're gonna spend a few moments responding to Jesus right now. 
I'd love for you to take this time to pray if you need to pray. Highlight something in your Bible, like, wow, this is what God said to me. And maybe even share with your friend, this is what God said to me. Text your disciple group, this is what God said to me. This is the step of action, the step I need to take. Here's what I need to do to get into the word. And after a few minutes of sitting in the presence of God and, and responding to the word, I'll be back up to share a couple of things going on in the life of our church.
Many of you were with us recently for our annual celebration of ministry, and we put a budget in front of you guys, and we put uh, Reyes and Neil before you guys as elder candidates to serve a second three-year term. And I need to, uh, in the service, give a public announcement that voting is going to be two weeks from today. Um, it's gonna, there's going to be an online option, and there will be an in-the-room option if you're uh, an active part. Talk to me, Neil. Oh, we didn't push it back a week? Okay, it's next week. It's next week. Listen, come to church every week and you won't miss anything. Uh, Pastor Greg's not judgmental. Um, next week, sweet. So um, at the annual meeting, uh, we said, and I'll remind you, if you're 16 years of age, made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Messiah, um, and you call ARCF home, uh, you've been here fellowshipping with us for at least six months, and you are free to cast a vote. And it's yes or no to our upcoming annual budget, whether you like it or not. Uh, a yes or no to Neil and Reyes serving, continuing to serve, I should say, as elders uh, for three more years. Are there any other details I need to share about the voting? Is it available online, or do they have to come talk to the office? Okay. Contact the office if you'd like to see a copy of the budget. We handed them out at the meeting, but if you weren't able to make it at the meeting, the office can get you a copy of the proposed budget. Sound good? Last thing. So I know that was businessy, but last thing is going to be really fun. Okay. I asked a number of weeks back, I asked the staff related to an upcoming sermon series, what does the flock of God need right now? And I'm going to give Melissa credit because I think it's an amazing idea. She came a couple weeks to, later to staff meeting and said, you know what's on my heart right now is the idea of victory. There's so much defeat that is felt in a world that is broken, fighting each other, lost, covered in fear, all of these things. Um, so I want you to know, so this is the announcement part. Two weeks from today, we're going to start, we're going to take a little break from the Gospel of John. And on Easter Sunday, we are going to begin a sermon series um, about victory. And you're going to have to show up to find out. But there are so many victories that Jesus achieved on his cross. There are so many victories he achieved on Easter morning. And he took them like a gift and wrapped them up and handed them those victories to us. And so we're going to spend a number of weeks discovering all of those things. Easter Sunday is going to be an incredible time to bring a friend. And so this is why I'm mentioning it to you, okay? I don't want you to be surprised. We're talking, talking about victory over death on Easter, okay? That's what we're talking about two weeks from today, an incredible time to bring a friend. We might have to put out more chairs, okay? All right. I love you guys. Be blessed. Go hang out with your groups. Go love your world.